Welcome back to Viewpoint Systems. I'm your host, Henry Gross. It gives me great pleasure now to welcome back to Viewpoints, David Zingier, who's the Associate Professor in the Faculty of Education at Southern Cross University after uh, 16 years in the Education Faculty at Monash University before he retired from there. A former teacher uh, and school principal and someone who's been a great advocate for public education now for many years. Welcome again to Viewpoints, David Zingier. Thank you, Henry. Pleasure to have you, David. First, I just want to congratulate you on the great work you do as an advocate of public education. Uh, very quickly, um, how do you see the public education landscape? Uh, we we are struggling. Uh, public schools are underfunded and under-resourced uh, and continually expected to do more and more uh, with less and less. So it's it's a struggle. Um, and um, one of the most serious issues has been during the COVID uh, pandemic lockdown, uh, the teachers have been pushed to their extreme through the, um, I guess, continued uh, teacher bashing and, and, and pointing of fingers as if the teachers are responsible to get kids back to school. Uh, and... In the beginning, teachers were lauded and, uh, mm. as heroes, uh, being able to uh, turn around from classroom pedagogy and curriculum to online work. But very quickly, uh, the media, uh, the politicians and the public start to change their views, and that's a real disappointment. What do you put that down to? Oh, well, um, I, I think it's uh, the same old, same old, if, if, if you know what I mean, that mm. uh, teachers have become uh, the whipping child of, of any failure uh, in, in our society. So whenever there is a, an issue that needs to be resolved, it seems to be left up to the schools to do something about it and then the teachers have to do something about it. Uh, in order to rectify uh, problems that are actually socially constructed. Uh, for example, uh, uh, children who come to school hungry or, uh, or tired are expected to be looked after by teachers. And you would know as well as I do how many uh, primary and secondary schools have to provide a breakfast program for kids because they're not adequately fed. And uh, we, we, we know that if kids don't have the fuel in their tummy, then nothing's going on upstairs in their brain. Mm. It's an interesting point you make because it's, it's, it's always fascinated me that, that uh, cultural attitude we have here and some other Western countries, uh, English-speaking Western countries, towards their teaching profession because other cultures, some of them have quite a different perspective on, on the value of their teaching profession. Well, I... I can just reflect back on my career in, in education uh, starting in 1981. So when I first was a teacher, uh, I could actually uh, sign a stat deck just as a humble teacher. Now, that was taken away, and then as a principal, I could sign a stat deck. But now principals can't even do that. And, and that reflects the lack of esteem that uh, teachers are now... Uh, burdened with that we we are seen as, uh, as babysitters according to our current prime minister 
Yes, and and that sort of phenomenon, uh, we see that to some extent, certainly in the UK from the people I, I know of over there, their profession's struggling. America too, not quite so much Canada. We often talk about Finland as being a world leader in respect for their profession in the Western uh, Western countries. Uh, what, what's your take on, 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 on all of that? Well, uh, I, I, I wish it was otherwise for a start. Uh, it's, it's often claimed that Australian teachers are, are, are well paid, um, but we do know that um, the pay stops after about 10 years, that, uh, unless you go up into the principal class and no one wants to do that anymore. <laughs> um, uh, you're, you're stuck on, on what really is uh, a dead-end salary uh, progression, Mm. Um, in in Finland, teachers don't earn any more than we do here in Australia, but uh, education is highly esteemed, and so teachers there are given uh, the independence and trust to actually uh, work with children without having to be overshadowed and uh, overseen by inspectors or by... Uh, examinations or by uh, testing procedures. Teachers are left and schools are left uh, alone to do the work that they do best without political interference. Uh, in Canada, it's not much different, although you mentioned that uh, you thought that Canada was different, but I've got a, a number of teaching colleagues in Canada, mm. throughout Canada, and they are under the pump just as they are here in Australia. Uh, being asked to do more in the classroom uh, with larger groups of students all the time uh, and uh, always being criticised for not doing enough work uh, and uh, being lazy. You know, the, the public perception is that teachers have it so good, uh, nine to three every day, that, is that all? And um, eight weeks holiday during the year? How how good is that? And then compounded upon on that is one of the problems that we have here in Australia in particular in, in comparison to, let's say, some of the Scandinavian countries. Uh, the ex expectations of uh, our incoming pre-service teachers in some of the faculties of education around this country, not all, but mm. some of them, are accepting students who are really not suited to be teaching, uh, they may not have the academic abilities to become teachers. And I know that academics is not the only prerequisite to be a good teacher. In fact, it's it's not it it, it doesn't have to have to be such. But uh, if teachers, if pre-service teachers are functionally illiterate or innumerate, then it's very hard for them to catch up and become uh, a qualified primary school teacher, for example. Um, in, in the Scandinavian countries, you mentioned Finland mm. before, uh, every teacher has to have a Master's of Education. So they have to have already completed an undergraduate degree and then to get into a Master's of, of Teaching program in, in Finland, it's highly competitive and they take only the top 10% of applicants. Uh, here in Australia, it's the other way around. Uh, too many faculties of education are taking students 
from the lowest um, bands of, of of academic performance in their year 12, and uh, they do a four-year course, and they are qualified. And at the end, of course, we now have a, a new uh, test for teachers that's called Lantite, which mm. uh, is compulsory. And some faculty of education, uh, for example, at Southern Cross University, actually administer this uh, literacy and numeracy test at the beginning of the first year of teacher education programs. And if, if students uh, don't find success in that test, then they have to find uh, remediation before they can continue their teaching education program. There are a lot of complaints from pre-service teachers who say, well, after four years, I do this test and I don't get 90% uh, or above, I can't continue into the profession. And that's a waste of four years' uh, education. So I think that those tests are important, but they need to be done at the beginning, as does an aptitude test to see whether people are, are actually, from an, uh, an emotional uh, intelligence perspective, suited to teaching kids at school. Mm. Look, it's a good point you make there, David. It's one of those ones I, I sometimes um, gnash my teeth over in that as teachers, we, we, we encourage children to aspire to their best performance because the better you do at school, um, the more paths you open for yourself career-wise and potentially the better you'll be at it. And yet when we defend the teachers that perhaps aren't suited or up to being teachers, we, we seem to say, oh, well, academic results don't matter so much if you want to be a teacher, which to me is a, a bit of an oxymoron. Yes, I, look, I agree. Um, and, and many, many uh, prospective teachers enter into a, a university faculty of education through alternate means. Uh, they come back from uh, other, uh, other professions and they find that uh, being an accountant really isn't really what I want to do and I'd ra much rather be uh, a maths teacher, for example. Uh, that's that's one, one avenue of entrance into teacher education. And the other one, of course, is for uh, people who've come from uh, underrepresented communities uh, in our education system, and they need to be given more support. But uh, I always look at a, a prospective student and I ask this simple question, would I want this person to be teaching my grandchildren? Good and, question. And... Uh, it, very often, I, I come to the conclusion, no, I don't, actually. And no matter how earnest they are, uh, they're just not fit to, not able, academically, to teach. And you will know even better than me that teaching the early years are the most difficult and not the, not the simplest. You know, and People who are outside of the education system uh, might have had that perspective in the past, but during the, the lockdown of schools in Victoria, uh, parents who have been trying to uh, do home-directed learning mm. uh, with uh, young primary school kids have found it very, very difficult. And perhaps, perhaps their views uh, have changed from uh, the sim simplistic babysitting of, of preppies and, and grade ones and twos to seeing how difficult it is to even wrangle one of these kids at a time, let alone 25 or more. Mm, absolutely. We take a short break, David. Can you hold the line? Thank you.
welcome back to Viewpoints Listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grasick. I'm in a discussion with David Zingier, Associate Professor in the Faculty of Education at Southern Cross University. We're looking at uh, respect and attitude towards the teaching profession. Welcome back, David. Uh, thank you, Henry. David, a question that I think uh, you've probably answered many times. Uh, now at the other end of your career, why did you go into teaching yourself in the first place? Well... Uh, I was very uh, enthusiastic, like many uh, young people. I wanted to make a difference to kids' education. Uh, I'm the first in my family to finish high school. Uh, my parents were refugees from Europe post-World mm. War II, and I was imbued with the, the concept from them that education meant everything, and uh, that through education one can actually change one's life and uh, certainly for me education was was a life changer. Uh, I was privileged to be able to go to uh, Melbourne Boys High School because uh, I was in the zone mm-hmm. at that time and uh, I certainly got the very, very best education that a kid could get and then I went on to university and again the first person in my family to ever go to university uh, and there I was able to see uh, how important education is and I was fired up, if you like, mm. to go out into disadvantaged communities to work with children who came from similar backgrounds to myself, from working class families, and uh, see if I can somehow or other help them to do the very best in their lives and give them the opportunities and possibilities that uh, were made available to me. Mm, Yes. While you were talking, I was just reflecting on my own background. My parents came from Europe post-war too, Germany, Poland, uh, and they probably belonged to what was called the sunken middle class, David, and, uh, of course, they sang the same tune as your parents did. If you want to get on and make a difference in life... um, it's all about education. So similar, different different starting point, but uh, a similar path we took. You, you talked about disadvantaged students and um, supporting them. COVID-19 has um, shown the gulf in some areas between the advantaged and the disadvantaged children in terms of educational opportunity uh, in certain ways. You might like to comment on that? Well, look, certainly we, we could see it straight away here in Victoria, for example, uh, just be, before the uh, school holidays uh, when teachers and schools knew that they were going to be shut down for the most, if not all, of term two, the uh, private school systems were able to very quickly uh, have their children uh, online because they all had laptops and computers and had internet access at home and had had the privilege of uh, a desk space and supportive parents at home and they transitioned very very quickly whereas um, in the public school system there are many kids who still don't even have internet access at home we know throughout australia that Mm. over 2.5 million homes according to the abs do not have internet access at home so um, it's made that very that transition to online uh, learning extremely difficult and uh, we also know that uh, it's the most disadvantaged students who, who need the one-on-one mentoring that they get at school 
uh, they are for the most disengaged children mm. because school is seen as not a place for them. And so transitioning to an, uh, an online, uh, out-of-school learning environment has been the most difficult. And <laughs> if I can comment here, sure. the, uh, the crocodile tears of our Federal Minister of Education bleating about uh, his caring for the most disadvantaged students uh, during this uh, pandemic lockdown uh, strikes me as being quite ironic given that uh, the federal government doesn't even fund disadvantaged schools uh, but only fund, but, uh, sends most of its public funding to private school system. Um, so uh, that was kind of ironic to hear those kinds of things. But I'd like to comment about one, something that I just interestingly read this morning in the, in the paper um, about um, shutdowns. So your listeners will remember that Christchurch a while ago in New Zealand suffered a, a terrible earthquake and schools were closed for more than six months. Um, but it was very interesting that when they went back, the kids went back to school, the results of the year 12 kids actually went up. Yes. They went up and... <laughs> It's it's quite a mystery as to why that might have happened, um, and uh, one view is that uh, once they went back to school, uh, their teachers focused on exactly what needed to be taught, uh, and uh, the kids were highly motivated to learn that material and did well in their uh, year twelve exams, better than they'd ever done before. Mm. It's an interesting um, one because they yeah. didn't have yeah. the emphasis on remote learning that we're uh, doing at the moment either, which which, which no, adds that's right. to well, it. The kids, the kids just stopped learning because there there was there were no schools. Everything was in a rubble. It 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 raises questions about, uh, and this was back I remember in the seventies when we had the de schoolers around um, A. S. Neil and Summerhill and those David uh, where. Um, are we are we providing the right approach and the right education for our students? Hey, look, it's 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 still a question on some educators' uh, lips. Mm. Uh, what should we be teaching our students? Uh, is the curriculum of benefit to all students, or is it just focused on those who want to proceed to uh, tertiary uh, education? and more specifically, university tertiary education. Uh, one of the greatest losses that we, that we have in our education system here in Victoria was the, uh, the end of the technical school system. Yep. And it, it, it was in the technical school system that I first began teaching uh, as a humanities and English teacher. Uh, and the, the students were highly motivated to learn their, uh, their trades mm. and... Uh, did very very well and be, and moved went on to apprenticeships and and uh, starting their own businesses as independent contractors and plumbers electricians making a heck of a lot more money than I ever made that's for sure um, and uh, it, I, I just recall that I was on a conference uh, tour in Hawaii and had a day off. Uh, as a tertiary educator mm. and uh, walking through a mall in Hawaii I hear across uh, the uh, mall Mr Zinger, Mr Zinger <laughs> and there was one of my former students from a technical school 
from Georgianville Technical School, who was now running a plumbing contracting business. And he was there in Hawaii holidaying with his three kids. Uh, he had done very, very well for himself. And so when we uh, decided to dissolve the, t the technical school system and create what we called comprehensive secondary colleges, we actually threw out the baby and the bathwater. Mm, mm, we did. We, we certainly did. David, time's got away from us and there's so much more that we could talk about and um, I'm booking you in for those chats in the future. Um, a pleasure and very informative chatting with you. Yeah, thank you very much, Henry, and thanks to all your listeners and keep supporting public education and its teachers. Thank you. Uh, yes, and people such as yourself who, who do that uh, are certainly inspirational in keeping that going. That was David Zingu, Associate Professor in the Faculty of Education at Southern Cross University, a great advocate for public education. We'll take a short break, listeners. Don't go away. Mm -hmm. 